1 Corinthians. We'll just read a few verses, but keep your Bible open. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Keep your Bible open at the book of Corinthians. <clears throat> I want to speak on the testimony of God. The testimony of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech nor of, or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray. Father, let your anointing flow upon this people. Let your spirit have free course in the midst of us. Speak to our hearts and into our lives and I ask you, Father, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, that all of us would leave here built up upon our most holy faith, blessed and encouraged, even challenged, maybe convicted. Lord, we know that in all things, your word, when it finds the lodging place in our hearts, will always, always bring us to a place of good, for the good, for your glory. So we ask you, Father, to settle us now. Settle us by your Spirit. May you, as it were, fall like a blanket upon this place. And cover us, cover us, Lord, that we would be settled in the house of God with open ears and open hearts, that we would glorify your name. We worship you and we love you. Thank you, Lord, for everything. We ask it in Jesus' name. We ask it for his glory. Amen. The testimony of God, Paul mentions it in verse 1. Let's read it. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. See the testimony of God. The word there for testimony also in the Old Testament as well. I mean, the, the ordinary rendering for it means to, to prove something, to show something real, to speak of something that's real. And Paul was saying that I have come to you and I didn't come with excellency of speech nor excellency of wisdom, but declaring to you that God is real declaring to you a testimony of what God has done in my life, of whom I was and what God has brought me from and where God is bringing me to. And he says, I've come and I've given a great testimony, and he gives it in verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul is realizing here that his testimony is not his own, but it's given to him. We've had in recent weeks, some wonderful testimonies from this very pulpit here. And how God has reached people, saved people, 
how he's kept people, how he's strengthened them, how he's healed even. And we have looked at these testimonies and heard them of what God has done in our assembly and in those that we have been praying for. And the word testimony, you see, when we look at it, we say, I'm giving my testimony. I say it, we all do. But really the testimony that we have is not ours, but God in us. In other words, if God isn't in us, if the Holy Spirit, if he isn't residing, living and abiding in us, we have no testimony. We have nothing to talk about of ourselves, nothing to talk about of our own. So our testimony is really the testimony of God in us. What he has accomplished on the cross in his son, the Lord Jesus, and what he has done for us and what he's doing in us and where he's bringing us to for our testimony is all of him. Everything that we should have and are should all be down to him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul mentions the testimony of Christ confirmed in you, established in you, stabilized in you. In other words, as Christ has entered in and changed you. And brothers and sisters, whenever you and I are saved, we're like new babies and we make mistakes very regularly. We don't know whether we're coming or going. We don't know the next day, the week, month, or year. We don't understand things, but nevertheless, nevertheless, it's Christ living in us who teaches us every step of the way. So there should be a growing up in God. There should be a, a, a growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And the wee babies here that we have recently just born, if we were to come back in another six months or a year's time and they haven't grown any, we'd be concerned about them. If they haven't went on to maybe more solid food, we'd be concerned about them. And so spiritually, being born again of the Spirit, we are needing fed, we're needing change, we're needing clothed, we're needing looked after, we're needing nursed, we're needing helped along. But after a while, we should be moving on to more solid food. Paul talks about it to the Corinthians. You see, the Corinthian church, we tend to think, and whenever you look at the church of Corinth and other churches, but especially here with the church of Corinth, we tend to think, well, you know, the first church, the early church, as it were, they had it together so well. Do you know the church of Corinth was a corrupt, detestable bunch of people? The church of Corinth was a sinful group. And Paul writes to them because of this, and he says, if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, then you'll never be the same. If you're in Christ, your speech is never the same. Your actions are never the same. You may fail, you may fall, you may falter. He's not saying they're sinless, but that they could sin less. Learn to sin less because their heart is totally devoted to Christ. Brothers and sisters, we can take from this this morning and understand that the church at Corinth, we can see the church of the 21st century, that Laodicean uh, age of the church that's the church before the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus tells that church, which he would speak, as it were, in a prophetical church age to us today, to this church age that we live in, as it were, that you're neither hot nor cold, you're neither refreshing, neither are you burning brightly for me? He says, and you make me want to spew thee out of my mouth. We must look at this as individuals. How is my life? Comes to me first when I'm bringing it to you. And it must be to yourself also that you'll take it as an assembly together. How are we as Donna Cloney Elam assembly? How are we 
before God? How are we as an assembly? How are we in our form of worship? How are we in our form of praise? How are we in what we give to God? We sang, all to Jesus I surrender. And uh, did we? Do we? Will we? All to thee I freely give. Have we? So the testimony of God is God working in you. God working in me. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth because it's corrupt. Simple as that. Yet there are spiritual giftings in it. Isn't that amazing? And you know, even today, people say, well, how can they be such and such and they're not perfect, you know, when they're like this, that, or the other? Yet the spiritual giftings are working through them. Brothers and sisters, they that bear the vessels of the Lord, those priests should be clean. If we're looking for the Lord's anointing, we must be clean. Yet God allowed them for a period of time for his own glory to be able to use the spiritual gifts and then he would call time. There has been preachers throughout the years who have been preaching to vast amounts of people, people being saved and brought to faith in Christ and And yet they they have went and behind the scenes they've fallen deeply into sin. Yet God still used them to be able to preach his word. And people were still saved. Lord, how can that be? Is that right, Lord? Well, the answer is, no, it's not right. Because we should be clean if we're burning the vessels of the Lord. It's the testimony of God in us that we must be concerned about. What happened to some of those people who did that? What happened to some of those preachers who were like that? God honored his own word. And after a period of time at their lack of repentance, God took them out from the ministry. Paul is writing here and saying, If you have the testimony of God, church at Corinth, you can't live how you like. Brothers and sisters, in the 21st century especially, the church thinks it's a day and an age of grace, which it is. But it's a hyper grace, as it were, where we can live as we like. That's a false gospel. It's a false gospel. You cannot live wrong and die right. Paul gives us something to strengthen us because he says, you know, I'm a human. That's what he's telling us. I'm weak. He says, I'm frail. In fact, Paul writes uh, in the book of Romans, he says uh, that the things that I do, I would not. And the things I should do, I don't. And Paul has his own struggles as a human being. He says, yet here he is, an apostle caught up to the third heaven. He still struggles. So if you're struggling, this isn't condemnation. It's maybe exhortation, and, but it's not condemnation. It, it's to encourage you that even in your struggles and even in your weakness and yes, even in your feelings and even when you've let the Lord down and even ever you've sinned before him, then today could be a great time of change for you because he still loves you. He writes this letter to the church of Corinth, but he writes it for you and I 
in the 21st century, in the year 2015, for you and I and others to read this, to say, Lord, you're the same yesterday and today and forever, and you're the Lord who changeth not, and we know you're a God of love, and we know you're a God of justice and judgment, but we know that you've written this for us, that we would read this and be encouraged and built up in it. That it's not too late for you and I to claim the promised and coveted anointing of the Spirit. It's not too late for you and I to say, Lord, we we want you more in our lives and I'm willing to to, to give up those things that I have held back from you, those things I've held dear, which I shouldn't have, that I should have surrendered completely to you. Lord, I I felt that I've missed the boat, as it were. I felt I've missed the mark and you've forgotten me or maybe you've passed me by, brother, sister. Never, 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 while there's breath in your lungs will he ever, ever, ever turn you away because he loves you with an everlasting love. And Paul is writing this to you and to me and thank the Lord that he writes it to me. The Holy Spirit says this is an eternal word and write this, Paul, because not only the church of Corinth needs it, but Ken needs it. Because he's a man, he's weak. He's frail. He's carnal. There's hope in Christ this morning. The testimony of God is God's testimony in you and in me. Notice what Paul says in verse 1. I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you, the testimony of God. And what Paul was saying, I came preaching the truth for salvation. The truth of salvation. That is from Christ alone is our hope. Christ alone is our Redeemer. Christ alone in his shed blood in Calvary. It's Christ and Christ alone. There is no other way. There is no other one. There is no other person. There is no other God. There is none else but Christ alone. And he comes and he says, Christ is living And how is he living? Because he's living in me, he says. And he comes to Corinth, a place full of idolatry. You know, in Corinth, it was on a little isthmus of land, and it had two seas on each side. It was a great seaport, and there was all sorts of traveling, and all sorts of people came, and it was just a place full of sin and wickedness. I mean, it was a cesspit. The city of Corinth was just a, a, a pool of debauchery. In fact, the saying of was around Europe at the time, or that known part of Europe, and around the Middle East was, when a man or a woman was playing in harlot or living a life of, of, of sin and, and, and getting up to no good, as we would say, they used to say, stop playing the Corinthian. Or he's playing the Corinthian. She's playing the Corinthian because the Corinthians were so corrupt. That's what it was. And the church of Jesus Christ is, is born, or, or, or the church of God and Christ in Corinth is born out of this. Here we have him coming and saying, look, Corinthian church, you're not what you used to be. You're not what you should be, but you're not what you used to be. But God's going to make you into what he wants you to be. Brother, sister, maybe you're not what you should be, but you're not what you used to be. And God wants to make you into something for his glory that you could be. A testimony of God, we must yield, we must give, we must surrender our all. 
that the testimony of God in us would be known and declared to everyone that we come in contact with. He says, He came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Do you know whenever you and I say we have our testimony, your testimony or the testimony of God, it's the hardest thing to gain. A testimony before people is the hardest thing for a Christian to gain. But it's the easiest thing for a Christian to lose. I'm going to say it again. It's the hardest thing. Your testimony is the hardest thing to gain, but it's the easiest thing for a Christian to lose. It can take months, years even, for people to see a change in a life because of struggles. It can take years for people to see the difference in someone, but it takes one moment, just one, just one, for people to notice the flaw in the life and the ruin of a testimony. There was a, an old Puritan, Thomas Watson. He wrote a book, A Body of Divinity. And the Puritans can be heavy reading at times, but if you got that book, it's a classical piece of work. It's a beautiful piece of work. I would, I, I would advise you to get it and read it and bear with it. It's fantastic. But Thomas Watson says, one eyewitness is better than ten ear witnesses. One demonstration of God in your life. One demonstration of God in my life can do more for the kingdom of God and for the glory of Christ. One demonstration of love, one demonstration of power, one demonstration of trust, one demonstration of hope, one demonstration of of just kindness in the name of Jesus. One demonstration from your life. Walking before them. Walking before the world, walking before your work colleagues and your family, one act of kindness in the name of the Lord can do more than 10 eyewitnesses or ear witnesses who will hear you say how much you love them and do nothing about it. Our testimonies are the hardest thing to gain, but the easiest thing to lose. Paul comes to Corinth, his focus his center, his entire world now, his heart, his mind, his life, his actions, his speech, his hope, his joy, his love, his trust, his all and all. Paul's everything was fixed completely, totally, fully, and uniquely on Christ. So any wonder Paul could say in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know why Paul was, what Paul was saying? He says, Paul, the old Paul, is the Saul is dead. And the Paul who is and now living in Christ and for Christ is alive, yet he's dead to himself. In other words, he's a living testimony for God. He's a living witness. The word testimony simply means witness. 
but it also means martyr. Did you know that? You know when you, you hear of, uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, those who have been beheaded, they are martyred for the witness of Christ. But there are two types of martyrs in, in Scripture. There's a martyr who's a living martyr, and there's a martyr who's a dying martyr for Christ. And some people, many people, millions of people have died for Christ and for the faith in Christ. And they've been a great witness and a great testimony, and they've, they've lit lamps that haven't gone out throughout church history. They've done wonderful things by going to the, uh, the, the, the burning stake, and they've done wonderful things by going to the chopping block. The, they've hung from trees, and all for the name of Christ, and even today it's happening. And they're a martyr for Christ. They've surrendered their all. They've given their all. And people in these situations have seen them. And it astonishes them and it astounds them that someone would be willing to give their life even for the cause of Christ. Then there are those who are a living testimony. For example, when you go into the Old Testament, I'll just, I'll just speak about this without going through references this morning for it would take a whole study on it. But whenever we talk about the, the tables of testimony in, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament, or it was where the two tables of stone Moses had written from, had uh, brought to God and God had written on them the, the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, they were called the tables of testimony. And what it was is they were a proof that God existed. They were a proof that God was alive and a proof that God was real. And that's why the Ten Commandments have never been done away with. Because in our lives, in our nation, it should be a proof that God is alive, that God is real, that God has never been done away with in our own hearts and our own lives, that God is living. So it's a living testimony of the reality of God and the reality of God in our lives. Then we had the tabernacle, or the, 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 the Ark of Testimony, rather. And the Ark of Testimony was where the tablets of testimony or the tables of testimony were in. And that was a living testimony that God would come and meet his people there. He says, I will speak unto you there, and I will meet you there between the cherubims when his glory came down upon the mercy seat and the blood was sprinkled upon it by the high priest. And it was in that, uh, the, the testimony of that sanctuary called the naos, if you want, in the Greek New Testament. It's the naos, that little room, was the sanctuary where God's presence came. And brothers and sisters, it was only there, and there alone, outside of heaven itself, that you would be able to contact God, that you'd be able to experience God, that you'd be able to see God's glory and know that God was real and know that God was alive and know that God was with them. It was only there, think of it, in the whole world, in the whole of the earth, in the whole of the universe, among all the billions and trillions of galaxies and whatever else we don't know that's out there, only that little room was the only place where people would know there was a living God. Nowhere else. Outside of heaven itself. That was called the naos of God, the, the sanctuary where God would come down and dwell. It was the testimony room the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of Testimony was there. The tables of testimony were in the Ark. And then the tabernacle was called the Tabernacle of Testimony. <laughs> in other words, whenever all nations saw that the tabernacle was in the middle of the nation, 
all other nations went outside, up to the hills, out to the groves, out to wherever they wanted to, to go on pilgrimages and to go out there to worship their idol gods. But the difference with Israel's God was that he dwelt in the midst of his people. He dwelt right in the heart of them. And it showed that he was living, that he was real. And all other nations could see this. And that's why many in Scripture came with fear and trembling when they even came before God's people. See, that's the testimony. That God is with them. God is with them and, and they are with God. It means that he's real, he's living, he's with us. And Paul says, I came not with excellency of speech or, with, or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. The greatest testimony of God was, he says, he wanted to know nothing else. Nothing else but the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified. The only thing that would matter in the whole of the universe now was not the temple in Jerusalem. It wasn't the animal sacrifices in Jerusalem. It wasn't the groves and the idols of any other great religions of the world, but this place, one place alone in the whole of the universe outside of heaven was the cross of Christ. And he comes to a place that's full of darkness and full of sin and full of wickedness and debauchery and all manner of evil that's going on. And he preaches Christ unto them. And he says, I'm declaring to you the testimony of God among this people. And brothers and sisters, that is the only thing that's going to turn the United Kingdom and Ireland around is the testimony of God and his church that it's only at the cross of Christ. It's only through the blood of the Lamb. It's the only witness that we can ever witness. It's the only thing that we can ever preach. It's the only one whom we could ever tell off. For if anything else but that, then we're preaching a false gospel. Paul says, I'm in the darkness of you all, all you debauched Corinthians. And he preaches and God starts to call, yet the church was still full of sin. His focus was on Christ. Notice what he says. I determined not to know anything among you in verse 2. He says, I've determined. The word determined is a word, krino. And it means to mentally or judicially decide. To mentally or judicially decide. Now listen, some people take this as if, well, Paul was not going to judge anybody. Uh, let's all be, you know, let's all be loving and there's no judgment now. Let's all love one another. Judge not lest you, lest you be judged. And twist not scripture lest you be like Satan. Paul wasn't saying that I, I don't want to judge you. Paul was saying, I'm keeping the cross of Christ before me. I'm remembering that I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm remembering the blood that he shed for me and for you. He says, but when I bring this, I'm bringing this in a heart of love that the church who have the testimony of God, who are the naos, the temple of God, cannot live like the devil. Church, you can't live like the devil. I'm not saying you are in here I'm saying this in a wider sense where many are living like the devil. He says, I've determined, Paul knew what was going on in Corinth. Do you know in chapter 5, and we'll not look at it again for time's sake, read it when you go home, he speaks of the fornication that's going on in the church. 
He speaks of adultery that's going on in the church. He even speaks of ancestral relationships that goes on in the church at that time. He says, you're the temple of God. How can you say the testimony of God is working and moving and operating in you? He says, how can you witness to a darkened land when you're no different than they are? We must be different, he says. We must be set apart. We must know that God is in us and with us and through us. And we must know that we have the power of his word, the authority of the gospel. And when we go out there, we are not to have a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. And he says, I have decided. I have mentally, judicially decided and judged within myself to come to you with the mind of Christ. With the mind of Christ. And so he starts telling them to put things in order. Listen, brothers and sisters, when a brother and sister does wrong, don't cast them into the depths of hell. Lift them up. Encourage them. And bring them along in the gospel and tell them the love of Christ for them and how he will restore them and how he wants them to do well in him. Paul says, I will do that. But first of all, we must put things down in the church. And he says, we must have vessels clean. Uh, Those vessels who are the vessels of the Holy Ghost. Those vessels who are the born-again believers. He says, if you have the testimony of God, then, he says, the testimony you're losing when those outside look at you, Corinth, those outside who look at you, 21st century church, in other words, when the unsaved look at the saved and they see no difference, it's not your testimony, it's God's. It's God's that's being lost. It's God's name. It's the name which is above every other name, the name of Jesus which is being degraded. He says, I determine not to know anything among you, save or accept Jesus Christ and him crucified. As he writes them, he knows whom he's writing to and what he's writing for. Paul comes, as it were, with his mind on Christ. My mind is judicially decided to remember Christ. My mind is judicially decided. My mind is on Christ and him crucified. Brothers and sisters, you see, a testimony is whenever you're going through your hardships and whatever you go through is, how do we get through them? We keep our minds in Christ. We remember that God's Son died on the tree for us. We remember the cross that he bore. We remember the shame and we remember the suffering. We remember the Father watching his Son bleeding and dying for a world that cursed him and were dead to him and turned their back on him. And so we remember his great love and sending his only begotten Son into the world for us. And in that, and in that we find love one for another. And in that we find forgiveness one for another. And in that we find help one for another. And we become long-suffering because he's long-suffering with me. And he's long-suffering with you. He says, I'm coming with my mind on Christ. And now he writes to them with the mind of Christ, bringing a balanced scale of judgment, but with mercy. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I can read this, and 
I can identify with this and I praise God for what he gives to me personally in this and I trust you will also. Let's read from verse 9. Paul says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Notice what Paul's saying here. He's saying there's a group of people here from every walk of life, and every one of you, he says, you're all just a bunch of sinners. And you've all lived a different life and you all had your different failures and you've all had your different faults and you all had your different sins. He says, but there's that again that's the big door swinging in small hinges and thank God for it. But, he says, but you are justified or you but, he says, and such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Listen to what Paul's saying here. He says, listen, see your lifestyle. See how you live. You should be completely different than when God called you. Brothers and sisters, if we have as Christians a a continual bitter spirit, where's the testimony of God? If we have a continual spirit of murmuring, I was out praying yesterday morning and I went over my usual place yesterday morning and I was just crying unto the Lord and I says, Lord, you know, forgive me this week. Sometimes I feel like I'm one of the ancient Israelites murmuring into your face during this week, Lord, I'm murmuring, forgive me. The word murmur there, when Israel murmured before God, means they got into a fixed state of mind and they walked continually. Nothing was ever good enough for them. Nothing was ever great enough for them. Nothing ever pleased them. Nothing ever helped them. They were never happy with anything. And they were like that all the time, continually. It wasn't they just said, well, we have no bread or we have no water. And God was so cruel. They were in a, con- a continual fixed state of mind and heart. And God says, then I'll fix you. I'll fix you. I says, Lord, there's nothing should stop me worshiping you. There's nothing should stop me praising you. Forgive me for murmuring. He says, this is who you are, church. Brothers and sisters, do you know the difference in the flesh of the Corinth church and the flesh of the church of Donnacona? None. None. Thank God he loves us. Thank God for his grace and for his mercy. For every idle word that you speak, you'll be standing before God but for his mercy. Even an idle word? 
How many of us have ever spoken an idle word? I could put two hands up on my two feet, making sure my ten fingers and toes pointed at it. I could. But he's gracious. But such were some of you, he says. You're, you're no longer under that. You're no longer like that. But the problem is today, in many places you're told, but such were some of you means that you can live on like that because you're covered in the blood. Brothers and sisters, if you're washed in the blood, do you want to be like the sow that returns to the mare? Do you want to be like a dog that returns to its own vomit again? Is this what we want to be like? I don't. I want to go on with God. And I want to pursue him in holiness and righteousness and right living. That's what I want for my life. To have the testimony of God operating and living in me. He says, you were thieves and covetous. And he goes through this whole rhetoric of what they were. And I'm sure there were many other things and examples he could have given. But such and such were past tense. Past tense, he says, don't ruin the testimony of God. Don't ruin the testimony of God. It's the hardest thing to get. But it's the easiest thing to lose. Don't ruin the testimony of God. And such were some of you. Notice, but you're washed. God looks at you and you're clean. People look at you. And unless you have a testimony shining through, they don't see you washed in the blood. God sees you washed in the blood. God sees you washed in the blood. But the people don't see you washed in the blood. The people need to see us different. Need to see us changed need to see our desires different, need to see our passion for the Lord, need to see our hearts on fire for him. The people need to see us going on with God. The people need to see us wanting more of him, wanting to be in his presence among his own people in their company, wanting to be in love and in fellowship and in prayer and at his house. People are looking for it. And when people don't see it, they want to see, where is this God who changes lives? Where is this God whom they proclaim, who does wonders and great things? Where is this God? For I see no difference than I am myself. Where is this testimony of the God that Paul had come to declare and to preach and to teach and to show by a lifestyle to the people at Corinth and to the church there. And such were some of you, he says, but you are washed. He says, but you are sanctified. In other words, he says, you're set apart. You're set apart. I can't help but wonder sometimes and I ask the Lord for myself. Lord, am I set apart enough? It means that you're noticed to be different. You're available for him. Are you available for him? God told you to drop all and go, would you go? If he says, come follow me, would you tell him, let me first go bury my father? 
If he says, give everything up and give it to the poor, would you do it? Come and follow me. If he challenged you to say, leave the nets behind in your very work, would you go? Where am I going? I haven't got much to give you. Would you go? You haven't got much of financial... You hear that God, you leave everything and God gives you all this wealth and knowledge, all this wealth and stuff and that's what keeps you. No, you, you live in faith. He keeps you. He supplies your need. And if he says you're going to live on the bare essentials, uh, would you be willing? Would you go? Well, you're sanctified. Are you different? Ready? Will we be sanctified for the prayer meeting rather than the TV? Are we willing to say, I surrender all? I finish with this, he says, but you're justified. You're just as if you never sinned. Imagine that. Brothers and sisters, get this before we go home. Corinth. I know what's going on in your church. The Holy Spirit has shown me and told me to write this letter to you. Church in the 21st century, I know. Donna Cloney Elam, wherever it may be. And I know your weaknesses and I know your faults and I know all the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eye and the pride of life. And he says, I know all that. Yet when the Father looks at you, you're washed. How does that work, Lord? Yet when he looks at you, he wants you to be sanctified and set apart more for him. And he says, you're justified that Christ, because of Christ, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the name which he's given unto him, the name which is above every other name, because of him and him alone, the cross of Christ and him crucified. Because of him, he says, when, 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 I, when I have your name presented before me, you're just as if you'd never sinned. You're justified. You're declared righteous before me, in other words. God says, Ken Davidson, that rotten piece of flesh that standing pile of dust that creeping worm of Jacob Ken Davidson he's righteous I declare him righteous. Why? Because Paul could say, he says that he would come to know nothing or he has decided to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. When I get there, when I enter those gates of his glory and I stand there in his grace, And I stand as all those things I've mentioned. He won't say to me, you're just a pile of dust. You're just a worm. He won't say to me, you're just a pile of rotting, decaying flesh because he'll change me to be like his son. And he'll change you and he'll say, look at this. He's spotless. She's spotless. I declare them righteous. The testimony of God is God living in us. God working in us. And when we lose our testimony, brothers and sisters, it's not our testimony. It's his. And they say, 
Where is his God? Where is her God? And what makes them different? May God take his word to our hearts and maybe say, Lord, make me a vessel of honor, a vessel fit for the master's use, that the testimony of God would shine throughout me, that I would be seen to be like Jesus. For his name's sake, amen. Amen. God bless us all. Praise his name.